What does it take to become an elite 40k player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40k Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to the Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirit remains unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law, and this is episode six of the podcast. We're glad you're able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that's exactly what this show is all about. We're interviewing top players who have lost a game of 40K. The goal of the show is to break down those mistakes that they made, how they plan to learn on it, how they plan to adapt, what they plan to do with their list moving forward. How often have you blamed the game on bad dice? Well, hindsight's 2020, and we're here to help you learn from those games. Let's dive right into the episode today. Rocket Top, you'll always be home sweet home to us. Good old Rocket Top. Woo! Let's talk about Liam and Russ. That's right. We're headed to Tennessee to talk about the Rocky Top Rumble. And you guessed it, we're talking about Space Wolves. Now, this is part one of the podcast. So our goal today is to analyze the game, talk about common mistakes, analyze the secondaries, target priority, and any mistakes that he perceived he made in the game. My co-host today is commonly referred to as the Uncle Rico of 40K. He's the Fire T-Rex because he eats Fire Raptors for breakfast. He is a nine-time member of Team USA. He has multiple Depticon top finishes. He's a three-time top eight LVO finisher. And recently, he won the Armed Forces GT. And over this weekend, he won the Atlantic City Open. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brad Chester. Brad, what is the secret sauce that you're taking to win so much lately? Drive the bandwagon, baby. Just drive the bandwagon. The champion of the bandwagon. As always, you know he's playing that bandwagon to the end. And you know he's going to Admech or Sisters. Who knows? We'll see. What's What's the newest book? That's all I need to know. <laughs> I don't know. They, they were back-to-back, so I think I think Sisters is the newest. So maybe hold out and see what the next one is, because I think you might miss that boat otherwise. Our guest today has exploded on the scene in 2021. He has multiple top finishes and in a highly competitive Atlanta RTT community. He recently finished second at the Rocky Top Rumble Major. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jamie Paris. Jamie, tell us about the last time you lost a game. Last time I lost a game was against the infamous Drukari. Oh, man. Yeah. A tell is old as time, and I think something we will continue to talk about this podcast until that FAQ goes in effect, which I think is this weekend. So that's fantastic. I think so. You got anything? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You got any? Uh, you got any fun uh, fun facts for us today, or anything? Uh... I actually had a funny joke. I had to. I had to go ask all my friends for a good joke, and uh, my friend Danny came. He told me this joke is, um, "What does Yoda say when he says himself in HD?" What's that? HDMI. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> you got. You got to do it. You got to HDMI. <laughs> we got songs singing. We got puns going. I like everything Solid. that's going on. This is like the dad. The dad cast. <laughs> now we know we're, we're here to talk about the rocky top rumble but brad we got to dive into this weekend just give us a brief rundown i gotta know tell us about your path to victory this weekend you mean just the beatings i took to get there i've never had a tougher a tougher road it was just good list after good list after good player after good player i went all pointy years on day one then played Thought I'd get, maybe get a new, uh, an easier game, and then day two started with Nick Nanavati, followed by Mark Hurdle, followed by Tom Ogden, 
And then into the final eight, I went into Anthony, followed by Tom again, followed by Nick again. So I had to beat two guys that I beat before, after I got back into the top eight. It was a very, very tough three-day stint. I don't think there's ever, or at least from the events I followed, has there ever been a, like a harder path? Because you literally had to beat two top eight people in a, what, 250-person event twice? Like, that's freaking insane. Like, I've never, never heard anything like that. It was earning the win. <laughs> it was crazy, man. Like my strength escape was funny because the uh, the actual TOs were coming up and walked over and go. I just randomly was looking at it. And he goes, "Your strength of schedule was like out of control." I'm like, "I know." It was so crazy. I just wanted one easier game that did not come. I had to be on top of my game all the time. Apparently, I was ready. Now they're gonna they're gonna interview you on the Art of War podcast later this week. So that episode should be out either next next uh thursday or the thursday following i imagine is that right indeed i'm gonna do that and then we're going to have between um nick siegs and myself are going to sit down and do the first of many round robin discussions about our tournament situation we're going to talk basically do a tournament recap about everything that happened during the tournament like our mindset and everything that basically made it so that we were so successful in that tournament I think that, uh, no offense to you, but I think everyone's wanting to hear from Siegler, man. Oh, my gosh. Like, Tao? Seriously? Like, look at the people he beat with Tao. It's absolutely crazy. He, I was unbelievably. I, I, I never cheered for Nick Harder than I cheered for him when he was playing Siegs. That uh, that list is very, very tough. Uh, he took an anti, uh, and he's, he's very, I mean, he's an expert with him. So he's an expert with the Tao, but he, t- he took a, a very skewed army to focus against Dark Eldar. And it served him great. Now let's let's go right into the event, though. Jamie, you want to tell us a little bit about the Rocky Top Rumble? Tell us where it's at, how many people were there, and all that jazz. Absolutely. Uh, the Rocky Top Rumble major was at Lenore City, Tennessee. It was a 64-player event. Um, it was for me. It was a three-hour drive from Atlanta. I drove uh, with my friends uh, Kelly, Stephen Cosgrove, and Thomas Bird. It was just three-hour drive, so nothing nothing horrendous. Um, I think some people drove like six or seven hours to get there. Uh, the cool thing about this event, it was a mix between player placed and set terrain. So the the old school 8th edition Nova Ls were there. Those were always in the middle of the board. You had four set ruins in the corners. And then we had these minor pieces, which were either forest craters or ruined walls, which also give the dense cover. Um, and those were player placed, so it was it was a cool mix between player placed and set. Because in Atlanta, we we do all our player placed terrain for our events, so it was it was a fun event. I really like play. I mean, unpopular opinion to a lot of places, but in the Midwest, we we've done a lot of player placed terrain in the past, and I actually really like it. I feel like it's a it's another skill. It's basically mm-hmm. a, just another deployment kind of thing. It's it's a game within a game, right? Like in 40k, you have your list building where you can make mistakes or you can make optimizations. Then in normal games, you have your deployment where you make mistakes and optimizations. It's, it's just a step in between there, where if you don't deploy the terrain to benefit you or to mess with your opponent, it's it's another place where you can lose the game, just like in list building and deployment. I, I love it. I love player-based terrain. It, it makes it so you can do different risks, too, because you can either go, hey, I want to block off the middle, or maybe I want to block off my give myself a great piece to deploy in kind of thing. So you have to weigh yeah, those options. Yeah. And different lists as well. Like no. So the way to think about it that I enjoy doing is 
you have you build your list and then you have four pieces of terrain that come with your list normally at a, a, a good event you'll have eight to ten pieces of terrain that you can place and you get half of those because your opponent will place the other half that half set of terrain is part of your list so you know that you get to place a big piece of terrain here you know you're going to get a forest here you know that you're going to be able to place it where you want so you can start taking weird lists to where you know what terrain you're going to be able to use it's it's fun do you know beforehand what pieces you're going to be in a format like that you know i'm getting these five sets like i'm getting a forest a yes. ruin uh so in the in the atlanta package if you say if you will uh the there's 10 large pieces of terrain which are just ruins and crates there's different sizes different orientations for the crates and then you have the minor pieces which are the forests and the craters you know how many pieces to expect. Obviously, your opponent can pick to deploy all the ruins while you're trying to alternate between ruins and crates. So um, if you spray down the middle, it's normally like two ruins, two crates, two forests. But your opponent can choose to start deploying the forest and you get access to more ruins. It, it's it's not split half and half. You just alternate placing the pieces with terrain. So there's almost even a skill to choose mm -hmm. in first and based on your oh, yeah. list and all that. That's pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Like, for example, I play Marines and I want to do my Oath of Moment. The first thing I'll do is place either a Ruin or a Crate right in the middle of the board. If you're my opponent and you know I want to take Oath of Moment because I don't have any other good secondaries and you win the roll off, you take a piece of Force and you put it right in the middle. And if I want to score Oath of Moment, I have to stand in the middle of the board. There's no hiding. That's cool. That's tricky. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else in the event that was like specific to the Rocky Top Rumble, like any wackiness? So it was it was the Nova, the Nova L's. We haven't seen those around for a while now. Um, we had to practice and get a couple reps in with the Nova Elves because you forget how they play. You forget how much they actually hide and where the lanes of fire are and how much can hide behind one of those huge Nova Elves. So that was that was very different to all the other events that I've been going to. They're so much. They're so different in the deployments, too. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the Nova Elves are fantastic when you're playing Hammer or Quarters or something like that, mm -hmm. but they're actually like, they, they have, so, weirdly enough, even though they're very big, they have huge lines of fires when yeah. you're playing the Dawn event, Dawn yeah. deployments. And out of our six rounds, three were Dawn of War and two were Vanguard, and then one Search and Destroy, one Sweep and Clear. So we didn't have any Hammer and Anvil missions that tournament. Wow. That's yeah. Surprising. It was unfortunate. <laughs> I don't like Dawn of War. It makes me spread too thin. Well, why don't you go ahead and just tell us what was in your list that you brought to the event? Sure. Uh, so I ran my Wolves. I've been running Wolves for the last six months. It's all I've run in Ninth Edition. It's the only army I play. I used to play Ultramarines. Now I'm just focused on my Wolves. I ran a single battalion successors with Born Heroes and Whirlwind of Rage. So Born Heroes gives me plus one to hit when I charge, and Whirlwind of Rage gives me exploding sixes in combat. That's super cool because it stacks with my Space Wolf Super Doctrine. By Super Doctrine, I mean the uh, the bonus I get for being in my preferred... Doctrine, so the Assault Doctrine. So my six is double explode. Savage Fury. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so my six is double explode. So in the HQs, I have my Chapter Master. He has Hunter, which gives him advance and charge and fall back and charge. If he makes a charge, the next turn, he gives an aura advance and charge. So once that guy makes a charge, my army becomes super fast. Um, then I have a Live Burn. Don't sell him loud. Don't sell him short on his plus one to do it. Yes, that's true. He gets plus one to advance and charge. Um, makes him really fast. He has like, I think it's like a 31-inch threat range, right? 12-inch move, D6 plus one advance, and then 12-inch. Yeah, it's, it's something like 31-inch threat range. 
So like anything that's like within 24 inches, like that's normally a safe charge that I can go for, especially if I have like a like a keystone character. We'll talk about that later. He's he's fun. He also has Imperium Sword, which lets him re-roll that charge and gives him plus one attack and strength. And then he has Frost Claws. So he has two landing claws upgrade with Frost Claws. That gives him eight attacks at strength six, AP two, two damage. And when those sixes double explode, those eight attacks can get crazy. Sometimes he whiffs, but he can get crazy. So um, he's my favorite character in my list. He's an absolute monster. At strength six, he's really good profile hitting things. And then AP three and Assault Doctrine. Then I have my Librarian. He has Rites of War as his war trade. It's an aura uh, that gives OPSEC to my core units. That includes my Dreadnoughts. Um, he has Armor of Rust, which is a spatial-specific right lick. So I have to pay 2CP to take it because I'm successor. It lets me pick an enemy unit with an engaged range at the start of the fight phase, and I make them fight last, and it cannot be interrupted. Um, actually, we'll talk about that later, how it uh, combos with a new FAQ where charging units count as having fight first because now that cancels out and kind of messes with it. Uh, his psychic powers are Stormcaller, which is an aura of six inches that gives me cover to everything within six inches, not just core. So my Dreadnoughts get a two-up save, my Wolfguard get a one-up save and cover. Uh, it just really buffs up the tankiness of my list. And he has Murder's Hurricane, which is a select an enemy unit within 18 inches. They can't overwatch and they fight last. So it lets me control that engagement a little bit better. Then I've got my Chaplain. He has a Benediction of Fury. So that's the super beat stick. So it's flat three damage, uh, sixes to wound to a mortal wound addition two. Wiser Raider for the Litanies on twos. He has the plus one to wound and shooting that I took just to buff up my guns a little bit. And he has the plus two to charge, obviously, because it gives me plus three to pilot and consolidate as well. So that's the characters. In the troops, I had two units of blood claws. They're just tactical marines with chain swords. And I had a unit of incursors for four deploying elites. I have my three wolf guard units, five mans with storm shields and lightning claws. These guys are the, just the backbone of the list. Because um, with 21 attacks and sixes that will explode, they're, they're, they're nuts. I've got two redemptors with plasma, gatlers, storm bolters, and pods on the top. And I have a Volkai dreadnought. Everyone's taking these now uh, with a cyclo missile launcher on the top, just because he's a great profile at killing Drukari, strength six. Means I'm wounding the Raiders on fours. It means I'm wounding the infantry on twos. Super, super reliable shooting. And he also does mortal wounds on sixes to wound, which is great against one wound models just to chew through the big units. In the fast attack, I've got the mighty Cyberwolf. The Cyberwolf that wins me every game because he just scores so many points. And a squad of suppressors that somehow came back. These crappy little suppressors that no one wanted to use another great profile because uh, the strength six strength seven two damage they're really good at popping raiders and they also shut off overwatch against infantry so those flamer racks if you hit them they don't they can't overwatch and then i've got landspeeder storm to top it off just to get me engaged in oath of the moment and that's the list for those new players out there who are looking at your list and your list is awesome by the way but the players out there looking at the list uh just kind of tell them how the the Cyberwolf is scoring your points in the list. <laughs> so the Cyberwolf is a 15-point model. It is T4, two wounds, four up save, 10-inch move, can advance and charge. And the way I use him is no one wants to dedicate a real... Because it's C4 and two wounds. Like, a Bolter is not going to kill it. You have to fire something decent at it, and no one wants to do that. So what I'll do is I'll advance the Cyberwolf behind the wall in the middle of the board, and he will get me two points of Oath every single turn, every single game because he's within six inches of the middle, and he's just scoring me points 
On top of that, if there's an objective in the middle, he's now scoring me five primary. So like over the tournament, he scored me like 40-something points. That single 15-point cyber wolf. <laughs> yeah, that's that's wild. That's some value right there, especially in a marine list. Where oh, that's yeah. What you want. oh, yeah. Space Wolves have access to that, and it's, it's great to have that super cheap unit that you do not care about. People will not dedicate firepower into it because it sucks. Because the four up armor, like if I pass a four up, like you're not killing it. So <laughs> he survived a ridiculous amount of stuff this weekend. I'll tell you about it later. It's, it was he was great MVP. Tell me about a couple of the choices. I was wondering, like, um, no no hammers or anything on the wolf guard. <clears throat> no hammers. So the reason why I took no hammers was uh, my friend Arn. He's really good with math. He showed me the math behind hammers versus claws. As soon as you hit either transhuman or something that's three wounds with a phenopain, aka gravis stuff or anything that has a phenopain or messes with your wound rolls, the lightning claws are more reliable. Just just that's 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 just why the no minus to hit and the it's more reliable damage than having to wound something on force and then eating a phenopain. I, I love it because I have a chart with all this stuff on it. I just mm-hmm. have to ask the question because people have asked. We're the, numbers, the, num- the numbers yeah. prove it. And the I thing is, you re-roll. Mm-hmm. You re-roll those claws, and I mean, that's just, and you're blowing up mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. you're giving yourself all those chances to just, explode. Yeah, the volume of attacks is better with the lightning claws than with the thunder hammer. And you like the hunter on the chapter master instead of the primaris chaplain? Yes, because the so huge argument between going chapter master with a jump pack or on a bike, right? Because uh, on a bike you move twenty one inches, on jump pack it's just twelve plus an advance. I like it more because I'm used to very dense terrain and a lot of things that mess with my bike's movement. I also don't like screens. So if you have like a sorcerer behind a screen of something, behind 10 or 20 Rubik Marines or whatever, or you have like the super important characters that's linchpin to your army, I can jump over your entire army and kill him. And I can't do that on a bike. So advance and charge on the chapter master is super, super valuable just because I don't get screened. Tell me about these blood claws, man. I've got so many blood claws. <laughs> my first day, uh, Loyalist Army was actually Space Wolves. So I've got all the old school blood claws. I want to hear a saga, a tale <laughs> so, of blood claw performance. <laughs> so blood claws. So Space Wolves have access to two troop units. You have blood claws and you have gray hunters. Gray hunters are just bolters and blood claws are chain swords. The reason why I never put gray hunters, so the bolter guys in my list, is because I'll be tempted to pop them out behind the wall and shoot with the bolters. And I don't want that. They need to be behind the wall, holding an objective as a counter charge. Because with the chainsaw being AP1, like in the Soul Doctrine, they're AP2. They're 16 attacks on the charge with a unit. If you were uh, pure Space Wolves, they would get Berserker Charge, which gives them 21 attacks. So they blend. But they're, they're a 90-point unit with 16 attacks. And like if you get close, like they'll, they'll do work. And they'll go and fight a middle objective and hold it. Like They're a great little OPSEC unit and... They hit hard enough to like where my opponents have to think about like, you know, when like you have a unit holding your backfield and someone deep strikes and makes an inch charge just to contest it. Like these guys will punch themselves out of some random little unit that's charged into them and their interrupt is dangerous. So <laughs> you're preaching to the choir on this. I want to say that so much. I actually don't like when people uh, put a random weapon in a lot of your, your home field objective units because then you do, you get that. You're tempted. The, yeah, exactly. You start to get tempted and all of a sudden you pop your head out. Yeah. And it's like somebody a, shoots back at you and now you don't have the objective anymore. It's like, ooh, I can get I can get an angle with my heavy bolt in this tactical marine to shoot at that raider. I'm like, no, because now you're going to get flamed. It's not worth it. Just hold your primary, 
stand there as a counter charge if you need to, but like don't pop out and shoot. <laughs> so yeah, I, I took the temptation out. No bolters, nothing, just bolt pistols. Well, let's uh, let's jump into what you lost to here. So can Brad, do you have the list right there in front of you on uh, the list? Indeed, you lost I do. To? Ready for it? We've got it is Adrukari Triple Patrol. We've got Succubus with the Precision Blows Triptech Whip. Succubus with Dark Lotus Tox and Razor Flails. Three units, three uh, big units, actually. Three big units of witches, a unit of Reaver Jet Bikes, a big unit of those with Grav Talons and Heat Lances. And then we've got a Cabal of the Blackheart with an Archon with the Gin Blade, Splitter Genius, Hatred Eternal, Double Cabalette Warriors, two big units of Incubi, not even messing around there, two 10-mans. And then one, two, three, four, five Raiders, and then we had a small Dark Technomancer, uh, rest in peace, uh, <laughs> patrol. No. With Jazar. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Jazar, two units of racks, and another Raider with the Grizzly trophies. So, tough list. So, <laughs> i got to tell you a bit of a story with the Drukari stuff. Because um, I went to this event having played seven test games against Drukari. I lost every single one of those games. And it wasn't even close. I played, I played against my friend Arn and Brad from Pro Tabletop. And Arn, the first game I had, he tabled me in two turns. The second game that we had, he tabled me in three. And the third game we had, he tabled me in four. And then Brad did the exact same thing. I just kept getting tabled. It was, it was not good. Like, I learned a lot every single game, but it was, it was, it was really, really not good. And then, so I had, I had a good number of games under my belt against Rukari. And I show up against, um, on day two. And I played three games with Drukari in a row. So it was, it was Drukari day for me that day. I was able to win the first two rounds just because just I had a little bit of experience this time around. And then going into round three against Steven, his, um, I looked at his list. And in my opinion, it wasn't optimized to do what Drukari did really well, which is the MSU fight. I used to run my Wolves where all my units are MSU. I used to run Skyclaws because they hit really hard and they trade up. Right, I wanted to play the trading game within my MSU units and just trade up. And that's how I would win games. Jukari come around and with their MSU units, they're trading even harder than I am. So I can't play that game. I'm no longer the best at playing that game. So when I saw his list with the big unit of witches and the big unit of incubi, I was like, okay, he's not playing to the strengths of the Jukari. He's like, because five incubi kill whatever they want to kill, especially against my list. They kill five marines, no problem. Ten are already going to kill the five marines. Now you're just overkilling. So I'm getting more return from killing that unit than if you had multiple five mans, right? So that was, I thought that was going to be advantage for me. Um, but Steven played it super well where he was throwing those units super hard into my lines and doing loads of damage. But going to the game, I thought I had the list advantage because the games that I played against Drukari, it wasn't as scary as the other list that I had played against just because of so, the optimality. So from your experience, you had kind of seen that the MSU was what was the trading up from the MSU was really yeah. what was hurting you in those losses. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have that going in. Yeah. So you felt like you had the advantage even. Because uh, in the MSU matchup, I've got like, what, I think 17 units, and then Jukari shows up with 26 units, and we trade one for one, because five mans hit five mans, and we both kill each other, so I lose. It, it cracked me up, because as soon as you said that, I'm like, that's how many units I have. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> so it's like, I've got 17 units, you're running your 26, we trade one to one, and um, I lose. If, because he had taken such big units, we almost had the same number of units, I'm like, now we trade one to one, and I pull some cool move out of my pocket in some turn. I'll flip it over to me, and I'll win. So that was that was my mentality going into the matchup. 
What was the mission and uh, all that? We played my favorite mission, uh, Sweeping Clear, the quadrant one with the objective right in the middle. It's it's my favorite mission because my list plays it so well. It's it's five objectives. It's a hold one, hold two. The mission specific is direct assault. So it's a three points if you hold the middle or your opponent's five if you hold both. So that stacks super well with Oath of Moment, right? Because I'm already going to be within... That is the Marine mission of all time. I love it. It's like, I'm already going to be in the middle to hold Oath. I'm already going to be in the middle to score direct assault. It's also giving me 10 primary. It's also stopping you from getting 15. If I hold that middle, you don't get 15. I get 10 and I just have to hold one more to get my 15. So it's like, it's, like, it's, it's the perfect mission for me. I was so happy that was a mission in the final. I was like, okay, I've got the list advantage, I think. I've got the mission. Like, I'm ready. <laughs> what, uh, what secondaries did you take in the mission? I took Oath of Moment, Direct Assault, and Domination. Now, domination was a bit of a mistake. We can get that into in a second, but um, th- those are the three secondaries that I take every single game that I play that mission. I don't even think about it. I don't care no, what you no, brought. You, like, you, you piqued my interest. I need to know what happened with domination now. That's a solid secondary, typically. So, yeah. It is, um, because it's it, based on the quadrant deployment, you have really easy access to the objective on your side in the, in the No Man's Land. So it's very easy to hold your deployment zone the the objective outside of the deployment zone and then because i'm going to hold the middle for direct assault i'm already going to get domination right so like as long as i keep hitting the middle and stealing it i get domination i get direct assault i get other moment like i'm supposed to max out my secondaries so segueing into this how did you deploy to kind of set up for that mission so it's worth noting that those L's hide a lot especially raiders you can hide four raiders behind those L's really really easily so I deployed the Cyberwolf right in the middle, ready to run up that wall and score me points endlessly for the rest of the game. <laughs> and he did. He scored me points. I'll tell you in a second why. Uh, I had a, a unit of, uh, oh, sorry, instead of two units of Blood Claws, I have one unit of Assault Intercessors and one unit of Blood Claws. I put the unit of Assault Intercessors behind the Cyberwolf. And then I put um, the Blood Claw unit all the way in the back, ready to hold my objective. I put the Incursors in the No Man's Land, ready to score me Domination. And then I had my three characters outside of 22 inches of his reaver jet bikes. The reason why I put them outside of 22 inches was because uh, they have this stratagem called eviscerating flyby, something like that. It's basically as soon as a model from his unit clips one of my units, he can spend the strat. And for every model in his unit, he rolls a four plus. On a four plus, I take a mortal wound. So a 10-man unit flying over one of my characters on average is five mortal wounds. It kills my characters. So staying outside of 22 inches, which is their threat range because they advance 8 inches, um, I was able to just like make sure that doesn't happen turn 1. And then I had my wolf guard around them, and then I had my dreadnoughts. Oh, I forgot to mention, I've got 3 attack bikes on the list. 3 attack bikes with multi-melters. Uh, <laughs> Jamie, put, how often had you have you been uh, hit by that eviscerating strike by those jet bikes before until you learned your lesson on that? I was, I've never been hit by it before. So on paper, it looked scary, and I deployed <laughs> a little too conservatively. <laughs> but yeah, I had the attack bikes on one flank, and I had the dreadnoughts on the other flank. I need, I deployed the dreadnoughts pretty aggressively just because mathing it out, he needs like five raiders to pop one of my dreadnoughts, and if he exposes all five raiders, then my return fire can be pretty good. So I deployed my dreadnoughts pretty aggressively, accepting that I was going to lose one if he went first, and knowing that I was going to get like I waited. The dreadnoughts were the last thing I deployed. Because I needed to make sure that with their 8-inch move, they could move to get Lannisat on his raiders. And uh, the Volk and one of the Redemptors could on one flank, and the other Redemptor and the attack bikes could on the other flank. 
So Atlanta sat on two redempt on two Raiders if I had gone first, which I did. That's how I deployed. And your plan for primary, I assume, was just kind of in line with your secondaries. You're going to hold three. Yeah, I'm going to hold my objective. My incursors are holding another one, and I'm going to throw everything to the middle in waves and just keep scoring that objective. And worst case scenario, I score ten on primary every single round. Yeah, and I'm the, maxing the, on my primary. The, yeah, the Bermuda Triangle is pretty much where you go at that yeah, point in time. Exactly. You never exactly. Tell us about, so you were able to deploy half the terrain. What did you put in the middle and the sides? Was it favorable to you? So the, the at this event, it wasn't all player placed. The L's were set in the middle. The terrain was, was set by a judge. So the L's were in the middle. There, were, there was a big ruin in each quadrant on each objective. So each obje- objective was pretty safe to hold. And then we had the minor pieces, which were the dense cover just scattered around in between. So a lot of minus one to hit path lanes. Uh, what was your general game plan going into it? Like, what was your thoughts against this? Well, you know what I mean? Wait, so he obviously has mm-hmm. speed to get to you. So you mm-hmm. you have your secondaries, you have your yeah. primary where we're going to play yeah. in that three. We're not overextending. What did you uh, basically what was your game plan before you got into it? And then obviously the second half of we'll talk about yeah. uh, things you could have done to basically do that a little bit better. So my plan was to score my secondaries. There wasn't a lot that I could do to mess up. I thought clear was wrong. Um, I was planning on holding my three objectives, sending waves into the middle, popping the raiders with my dreadnoughts, and then waiting for him to charge into the middle and then charge in with my wolf guard. The problem with the incubi is if they beat your leadership, they make you fight last. So I could never charge the Incubi with one unit. I had to charge with two. So I had to get those into the open and then multi-charge into them in case he makes me fight last in one place. Unless I don't have my librarian, I've got two units so I can activate with one first. Um, His secondaries are worth noting because he took Engage, Deploy Scramblers, and Assassinate. I've only got three characters, so I only give up nine points of Assassinate. So going into the game before it started, I I thought I had a list advantage, a mission advantage, and then a secondary advantage because he took assassinate, so only nine points. So you see, he's down six. He took deploy scramblers, so he's down five. So he's already down eleven points. And then for engage, he has to get he has to come into my quadrant every single round to score max engage. And I had the ability to max my secondaries, so I had a eleven point secondary lead over him. Like in terms of what maximum score we could get, I already had eleven points more than I could than he could. So my plan was try and keep my character safe, which messed with my gameplay. We'll talk about that a little bit later because I was trying to stay away from the eviscerating flyby. I tried to keep my character safe. Um, I tried to focus his infantry to see if I could mess with his deploy scramblers, if I can deploy deny his deploy scramblers by either overcommitting in and making him send all his infantry in to kill me or getting access to his infantry early if I can deny that deploy scrambler, that's a 21-point lead on secondaries. And that should win me the game because that's enough of a points difference. Unless I'm getting tabled in like three turns. So my game plan was um, hold the middle with as few resources as possible to make him commit those big units. If he sends 10 incubi to kill five assault intercessors or five blood claws or a cyber wolf, and I get to kill those 10 intercessors, those 10... Um, Incubi, I'm trading up, and that's what's going to lead to a victory. So that was my plan, was minimal resources in the middle, force him to commit his big units, because he has no five-mans. Everything's a 10-man. He has to dedicate a big unit 
to kill whatever's in the middle because he needs to deny my 15 primary, or if not, I'm going to have a primary lead as well, and then just counter that with minimal resources. That was the plan. So walk us through the game now and kind of tell us where you think it went wrong. So I won the roll-off to go first. He had four rages in the middle. He had the bike unit in his ruin outside of range of my characters because I deployed them outside. And the first, so I had pre-measured where my dreadnoughts had gone. I knew exactly which rays I could see. So those were easy to move. My attack bikes moved off my flank with the suppressors and the dreadnoughts. My Vulcan and my other Redemptor moved up the other flank to pop another raider. And my speeder, for some reason, I sent it in to charge in. Uh, his succubus that disembarked out of the transport killed it. It was, it was I don't know why I did that. That was, a, that was a dumb mistake out of nowhere. But my mistake that pretty much lost me the game was in turn one, instead of pushing everything into the middle and getting really aggressive with them, I shifted all of my wolf guard to my three to my two objectives, not the one in the middle, so the one outside my deployment zone, to overprotect them. And because I was focused on my secondaries just to max them out. And by shifting from my middle initial position to those two objectives and not pushing into the middle, he immediately, like, kudos to him, because, like, he caught it immediately. As soon as I shifted to the left, he, in his turn, he just took all his raiders and just shifted to his objective away from my army, putting two turns of movement for me between me and him, meaning he now controls the engagement because he moves faster than I do. So by doing that, because I shifted away from the middle, he was able to set the distance between us and take control of the, uh, of the game. I thought I went in with full control of the game. And as soon as I made that mistake, he shifted and he took control. And that was pretty much the game. He, he, played, he, like, he played all my weaknesses extremely well. So where did it go? Like, So you shifted, he shifted over, and the rest of the game yeah. was the kind of cat and mouse, was yeah. kind of keeping that mm-hmm. distance on you. So and- mm-hmm, Exactly. So instead of my game plan, where it's like, I want you to come into the middle with your resources to fight whatever I put there, and then I counter charge. I'm the one who has to send a unit into the middle and he now gets to counter charge. My plan got completely flipped because I'm the one going into the middle first now and he gets to hit me. And that really messed with my game plan. And at that point I was on the back foot. And I mean, turn one, so I shifted turn one. In his turn one, he charged his succubus into my attack bikes and he charged a 10 witch unit into the assault intercessors in the middle. He activated with the succubus first, which let me interrupt with my assault intercessors, and I killed this witch unit. So that gave me a 15-point primary turn one. And that was that was really good for me because I, I already made a huge mistake. And him activating in the wrong place meant I got a 15 primary, and I had five uh, assault intercessors ready to push up. So in my turn two, I sent... He had he had flown a raider with Jazar and 10 Incubi into my deployment zone. So, which I thought was another mistake because I was able to pop the raider, shoot the Incubi dead, and then charge Drazar with my entire army. Regardless of what he makes fight last, I'm gonna kill him. I wasn't gonna take a risk because Drazar will find him twice, will eat through my list. So I was able to kill 10 Incubi, Drazar, 10 witches, and like two or th- four raiders by turn two. Like I'm in a great spot. On in terms of points and on the board, but I'm out of position, and I didn't move hard enough to to account for that mistake. And after that turn, I ran out of gas. He sent ten incubi and ten witches into me. He did a crazy amount of damage. He killed my librarian with his succubus because succubuses have fight first, 
So they charge into my armor of rust and I make them fight last, but they cancel out so they still get to activate first. And he did he did too much damage with those big units, turn two. And at that point I was on the back foot. I tried to do some cool tricks. He had flown two raiders onto the second floor of a ruin. And I was able to charge a, ru- a raider that was empty in front, kill it, and then consolidate underneath those raiders, meaning he couldn't disembark. Because if you, if I'm directly underneath the raiders, if you disembark within three of the raiders, you'll be within engagement range of my unit, so you can't disembark. I didn't do it properly because I got sloppy. I was focused on something else, and I left a tiny little gap. So he was able to uh, disembark and then move down and then charge into my lines, and that also was really hurtful. So I had an opportunity there to tie up 10 witches and 10 incubi inside their raiders. So he couldn't even do damage against me turn two. But I I missed it. I got sloppy and I lost that opportunity. And that uh, also cost me the game right there. And that was pretty much it. After that, it was just a slugfest. He was dominating me. He did some really good moves. He used the um, attack bikes to... Uh, the attack bikes, the, the reaver jet bikes to kill my incursors that were on an objective to remove my primary and my dominations. And at that point, I just couldn't score any more points. It was a super high score going game. I think, what was the score? It was a uh, 88 to 72. So like we both scored a lot of points and he was able to score the nine on assassination and the 10 on deploy scramblers because uh, my um, my blood claws went into 10 witches, bounced off. They were able to kill the blood claws and then moved into my deployments onto deploy scramblers. So that was unfortunate. That was his last infantry unit. If my blood claws had killed his witches, he wouldn't have uh, deployed scramblers. Something I definitely want to dive into part two with you is how you pace the middle objective. I think that's an important thing for players to really learn how to do on that on the five mission of uh, five objective missions like that. I've got a lot of I'm setting it up for part two because I've got a lot of detailed questions that I'm like, you did such a great job of explaining the game and telling me what you were doing. You took all my mojo away. I'm like, Jamie's still giving. We'll just have to do it again. I was like, you you, you took all my questions and answered it before I could answer the questions. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Jamie, we actually had a request out from one of our listeners. They want to know, like, what is your process for sitting down and analyzing a loss after you've you're coming home. What is your process for all that? Ooh, that's, that's a great. So I gave this question a lot of thought. And what I came up with was there are three. Let me know if you agree or not. There's three reasons why you lose a game. It's one of three reasons. The first reason is lack of experience against the matchup. Either it's a new codex. You haven't played games. Like you just don't know how the army works. You don't know the rules. You don't know the tricks. That's the first reason why you might lose a game. The second reason is you get outplayed. Either the opponent does something crazy that you didn't expect, or he's just a better player than you are. Just he has more experience in the matchup. Just you just got outplayed. And then the third reason is diced. Like just dice didn't go well. And by dice, I don't mean, oh, I was banking the game on a seven-inch charge and I fell the seven-inch charge. No. I'm saying like you have a three-inch charge re-rollable and you roll snake eyes twice in a row, and that loses you the game. Like, that's what I mean, dice. Like, something just, like, out of your control. You were ready. You had a, the best charge you could get. You had a re-roll. Just, it happens. That's what I mean by dice. Those are three reasons why you might lose a game. And then, by getting dice, there's nothing you can do. It happens. You failed a three-inch charge re-rollable. There's nothing to learn from my experience. Maybe there's a couple of things you could have done differently, but I don't focus much on the games where I truly get diced. It's just where it just went wrong. What I focus on are the games where I didn't have enough reps against the army and I didn't know what they do. And at that point, you just play more games or you go outplayed. 
And that's where you want to analyze if there's something you could have done differently and there's things you can do to outplay that opponent. What do you guys think of those 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 three? Man, that is so elegant. I love it. I was just going to say that when you say outplayed, you you kind of include uh, maybe outlisted and outplayed there. To exactly. Out, it, it outlisted, outdeployed, outmaneuvered, out secondary choices, just experience in the game. For sure. And I love talking about that. It's one of the main reasons I was so interested. I say this every week, but it just still holds true. One of the reasons I love doing this cast is that you never want to lose a game. But man, when you, you lose a game and you, you're on the ride home and everything is when you really start to analyze your movement, your secondaries, mm-hmm. your lists. Could I have put something in the list? You know, all of those together form, you know, how you win the next time better. Absolutely. Jamie, if you have one person, if you had one piece of advice for a player who is pretty much copy and pasting your list, what would it be? For my list specifically or for like playing with the list in games? Playing with the listening games, like give me one one good beginner piece of advice for it. Be aggressive. Just go crazy. Just do it, man. Like just like if you can roll sixes, if you know, because you, you you know if you're a player who can roll sixes, if you can roll sixes, just go for it. Just do it. Just go for it. Like the army between so the librarian with a stormcaller, which gives an aura of cover, means most of your units have a two up save. The wolf guard have a one up save. Then you can spend two CP to do a, uh, it's called a Cloaked by the Storm. If one of your psychic powers goes off, you can spend two CP. It's an aura of minus one to be hit. So I love, love, it's my favorite way of playing. I put my entire army in the middle of the board, regardless of there's ruins, regardless if it's in the open. I put my entire army in the middle, my Dreadnoughts, my Wolfguard, my characters, and I have a two-up save or one-up save and minus one to be hit. And I go to my opponent, okay, I'm 12 inches away from you because I advanced everything forward. You get to kill whatever you want. You can pick up my Dreadnoughts. You can kill some Wolf Guard. But if you're not careful about what you don't kill, I'm charging you next turn. I move 12 inches. I'm going to charge you. I have a plus two to charge. Like, I'm charging you. I'm going to put things into Assault Doctrine, and I'm going to tag you things. I'm going to kill what I charge, and I'm going to wrap, and I'm going to do all sorts of crazy things. And if you don't kill the right things, like, at that point, I'm in a great spot to win. Because I just, everything in the middle, surprisingly resilient. And then I'm going in with incredible damage in combat. It's just so much fun to play that way. Awesome. Jamie, thanks for coming on this episode. I really enjoyed having you. We have one quick thing for you here. At the end of the episode, we're going to do a question and answer session here. It's one of the perks to being a member of the War Room of the Art of War. We actually put on before this episode air that you were going to be on. And we have a couple questions for you here. Are you ready for them? Yes, sir. All right. This one comes from Hunter Nichols. He said, some people, and in parentheses he put John Lennon and Jack Harvester, <laughs> think that wolves are bad. Tell me why you think they're great compared to other chapters. Um, why do I think they're great against other chapters? So wolves have two really cool things. They have weight of dice, which no other chapter can get from double exploring sixes. You have to be successes to get the double exploring sixes. But it turns 21 attacks into like 30 hits. It takes my Redemptor's five attacks to like nine to 10 hits just because those sixes really stack up, especially well, when you're fishing for everything. I was about to say, it's so crazy that a lot of people don't realize you've got two different sets of ability to do full rerolls too. And yes. you're picking up everything that's not a six. Exactly. So you, it's in the math is just crazy on exactly. that. So a free piece of advice here is the chaplain with the reroll hits, Litany. Do that one before you pick your chapter master rerolls. Because if you get reroll hits with your chaplain, which is only in combat, your chapter master rerolls can go on either unit that's going to go somewhere else or into a redemptor. So it rerolls all the shooting as well. But having those reroll to hit on everything 
and then hitting on twos and sixes is double explode. The math, again, I love math. I'm, I'm an engineer, so I love math. The the sixes double exploding are better than rolling a one, and you're equally likely to roll a one or a six. So when you roll all of your attacks, re-roll everything that's not a six, because if you get the same number of one and sixes, you're still going to generate more attacks. So if you roll five attacks, you roll one six. You re-roll the other four, and maybe you get one, or maybe you get two more sixes, and your five attacks turn into like 11 hits. And on a profile like a Redemptor, where it's a three plus three, D3 damage in combat, it is wild. I've, my Redemptor's go in and hit 11 times and 11 wounds because they wound on twos against almost everything. It's like gone. 11 saves, three D, D3 plus three damage each. <laughs> that is actually ridiculous. I never even thought about See, that. So just the volume of attacks and then access to plus one wound in combat and the mobility from Hunter, once that chapter master goes in, makes a charge, and then everyone else gets to advantage and charge, I'm now hitting units that you didn't think I was going to bother going for. So now I mess with your primary... The way I play this list a lot is I go in and I try and focus all the things that will get you points, and then I get tabled. I get tabled in four turns all the time. But by then, I have enough points on the board, and I have an idea enough points to where it normally secures me a win. And that's why I think wolves are great. I think white scars are really close, but I think that's why I love my wolves, especially with the armor of Ross and the fight last. I, I control that engagement. So being a combat army that can uh, control combat is really, really powerful. And that's why I think Space Wolves are the best army in Marines. We actually have one more question here for you. This one's coming from David Klang. He says, how are you going to adapt to the new AdMech? And then he says, keep up the great work. Next time you go all the way, 100%, 100%. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the support. Uh, AdMech, AdMech and Sisters now, right? Sisters are as well. AdMech is problematic in a sense, just because their rate of fire is ridiculous. They have ignore cover, on all of their to, infantry to units. everyone. I was about to say, this isn't a wolf problem. This is yes. a 40K problem. Yes. Like. So the problems that I see specifically against Admech is they have rate of fire that wounds me on force because of the uh, enriched rounds or whatever it is with the Vanguard. And then their AP1 or AP2, depending on which Ranger or Vanguard unit you're shooting with me with, but you ignore cover. And the ignore cover is what kills me because my one-up save now goes to a two-up and with your AP, I'm taking three or four-up saves. So I no longer have that resiliency, that innate resiliency that makes my army so tanky. They ignore it, and that hurts. And what I like is people are focusing on those 20-man units. And the Wolf Guard, with their 21 attacks, I used to charge five Skitari and just eat them alive, right? Like Just 21 attacks to kill five Skitari. It was overkill. It was unnecessary. Now I get to charge my 21-attack Wolf Guard unit into 20-man units. And now my weight of dice matter, right? People can't kill 20-man units. I can. My wolf guard going in with double exploding sixes against the transhuman Skitari, because they can transhuman. I reroll my wounds. I'll kill 12 to 17 models in one activation, and that is super, super good. So in terms of the infantry fight, I'm okay. It's the last count of chickens with the D3 plus 3 damage that eat my redemptors, because there's no more variance. There's no longer D6 damage. Before D6 damage, you roll a 3. Always, I only take 2 damage, right? Like now you roll a 3, that's 5 damage, and that hurts. So they pop my vehicles really quickly and they ignore my defensive buffs. So I have to be super, super careful. Awesome, man. Thanks for answering all the questions here. And if you have any questions of your own and you're listening in today, we allow early access to who's coming on and are fielding questions on the War Room. You can subscribe to the War Room on our website, theartofwar40k.com. You can also email any questions, concerns, anything you want to say to me, actually, at blake at theartofwar40k.com. 
Go to our website, check out our merchandise, check out all the stuff we have to offer there. You can hire coaches such as Brad, the champion of the Atlantic City Open, uh, on our website and just go and go and just browse and see what you see what you think. Part two will be available to subscribers of the website. Make sure to check it out and subscribe, and we'll see you in part two. Thank you. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.